Let's take a minute and thank our sponsors for helping grow this podcast to bigger and better every episode. Our first one is SR3 Rescue Concepts because you don't know what you don't know. Our next one is Life Saving Systems Corporation. We do our work so you can do yours. Tough gear for tough jobs. Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. And Flipping Coffee, brewing real coffee with real ingredients for real coffee drinkers. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help with your helicopter training, standardization, and safety checks. Or maybe just an annual FAA refresher is what you need. They're ready to help your agency keep up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. The training staff is amazing. With certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crew members that are offering training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, and ground operations. SR3 has partnered with Petzl to assist with a personal protective equipment inspection course and the highly specific Lazard, which is used for helicopter cliff and mountain rescue. And to add into it, they also teach ground tactical emergency care. Contact them today at sr3rescueconcepts.com. Again, sr3rescueconcepts.com or follow them on Instagram at sr3 underscore rescue. That's sr3 underscore rescue. Then we have Life Saving Systems Corporation. Manufactures the world's toughest helicopter rescue gear. From their Triton harness, which is my favorite harness being a rescueman, to the rescue basket, litters, and of course the most popular hoist hook in helicopters, yes, the D-Lock. The team at LSC cuts, bends, sews, wells, and machines these products into existence every day and sends them on their way to us. We do our work so that you can do yours. LSC, tough gear for tough jobs. Check them out at lifesavingsystems.com. That's lifesavingsystems.com. And follow them over on Instagram, at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. That's at Rescue Gear. Next is Breeze Eastern. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and unique mission requirements has changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, operators, and those rescued has not. Contact Breeze Eastern today by visiting at breeze-eastern.com. That's breeze-eastern.com. And the last one is Flippin' Coffee. At Flippin' Coffee, we roast each batch to perfection to bring that smooth, delicious cup of coffee that you won't find in most other brands. We like to keep it simple. Brewing real coffee using real ingredients for real coffee drinkers. Contact them today at flippincoffee.com. That's F-L-I-P-P-I-N coffee.com. You can also follow them on Instagram at flippincoffee. That's at F-L-I-P-P-I-N coffee. As a bonus, Flippin' Coffee is given a promotion. If you punch in promotion code, all capitals, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q, you get 10% off. That's promo code REALRESCUE, capitals, all capitals, 
R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q, and you get 10%. If you're just going to send everybody an email, just make sure you tell them one thing. Quinny sent me here. And thank you to all of our sponsors. Our next guest with us, United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 437. Man, I'm psyched he came on to share some of his stories. Uh, It was awesome. And and what he's done past the swimmer world is just as amazing. And, you know, he's worked hard, he's represented, and he's given back. And I love every bit of the stories that you're about to hear. So without further ado, please welcome Shannon Scaff. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I have got an amazing guest with me today. Uh, United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 437, Mr. Shannon Scaff. What's up, Shannon? <laughs> hey, Jason. Good to see you, man. Good to see you. Good to see you. Now, uh, a lot of people are not going to ever be aware of this, but you and I officially met uh, in North Carolina. You were a third class in the shop there at, at um, the, the air station side, and I came there as an, an airman. And I had been there for about a week and all of a sudden you're working nights and I roll in and I'm still in the shop and you're like, Hey, Airman, why don't you come for a run with me? And I'm like, uh, okay, I just got my ass beat all day, but why not? I'll go. Next thing I know you and I are out running and I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah. So that was our first You were, Jason, you were, you came in, like I said the other day, a bucket of energy, man. And you, you still have that about you. Thank Some you. number of years later, still pump full of energy. So that's that's good. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what it is. I'm high on life. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. So yeah, tell everybody out there about you and a kind of bit of your career, how you get started, and what brought you to search and rescue. Yeah, <clears throat> well, it's been a it's been a hell of a ride, man. Um, you know, I, I saw I was raised here in Charleston and I enlisted in the Coast Guard in 1993 after seeing a, a Coast Guard helicopter fly over downtown Charleston and do some boat work. And I thought, hey, this is I was at a crossroads in my life. And uh, as a teenager, really not sure where I was headed, but I saw that and like it was a huge enlightening and actually defining moment for me. Nice. Um, and so I enlisted. In 93, of course, back then, the uh, the wait for what was then the aviation survivalman rate was about four years. And so I spent um, the majority of that time at a small boat station on the Chesapeake Bay uh, waiting for my shot to go to school. Uh, there were six of us in my class and five graduated. Uh, nice. Uh, well done. Chose to stay in Elizabeth City and and uh, got, got assigned there right out of school and had an amazing tour there with uh, an incredible shop and just a great uh, unit. Um, You know, Elizabeth City was a a great first unit right out of school because you get a little bit of everything. You get some of that high seas uh, search and rescue, a really uh, just an incredible shop of guys that were really seasoned. Uh, Troy Lundgren is one that comes to mind. Uh, You know, Troy did a a rescue, from the 
San Francisco earthquakes way back in the day where they separated and a car had gone down into, uh, into the separation of the bridge. And uh, Troy did that rescue. Just a lot of great guys that came out of Kodiak that were nice. there. And so I learned a lot from those, from those fellows. Yeah. So I, I finished up a, um, uh, an extend tour in Elizabeth City, flying on 60s and 130s. Uh, took a, a, a slot in Savannah. Uh, flew out of Air Station Savannah and uh, Charleston Executive Airport, a little air facility here. So I had an opportunity to run search and rescue out of out of my hometown. And uh, and and while I was there, I decided to. Uh, I think I'd had about seven and a half, eight years total as a as a swimmer. Decided to um, try my hand at uh, shot at officer candidate school, and I got selected for that. Nice. In, uh, 2004 went on to uh to ocs and received a commission in december of that year uh and then just had had a had a great career as a commission officer retired in 2017 as a lieutenant commander congratulations back here at home um as a chief of uh, contingency planning so basically I, I i was the emergency manager uh for coast guard sector charleston um which was a great segue into what i do now in my second career i work uh in the mayor's office downtown here as the director of emergency management for the city of Charleston. And so that is awesome. Great segue into, into my second career. And, and that's what I'm doing now back here at home, um, running hurricanes again, right here from my home. <laughs> yeah. Never, never stops. It never stops. <laughs> yeah. When, yeah. Once you get yeah. that bug, man, you're in. <laughs> true. It's true. And, awesome. I, and I really enjoy this line of work. You know, it's, it's neat to be on this side of it. And, uh, you know, I oftentimes leverage my experiences as a swimmer. Um, some of those lessons uh, we take with us for the rest of our lives. And um, uh, it's just proved, proved to be very, very beneficial, very useful to my current career in terms of how I see things, how I manage, you know, risks, um, how I leverage the team, um, all those kinds of things are, uh, directly attributed to my time as an AST. That is awesome. That is, that is what a great career you've had. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm going to get into it a little bit later in what you've done, uh, even after you left the swimmer rate to go officer. Um, and there's only a handful of guys that, that went from rescue swimmer to officer. Um, now there, there's two sides. There's the warrant officer. So some of the guys, uh, you know, they get up to chief, first class chief, senior chief, and they end up going to um, the warrant officer program. And then they go and they do another part of the job that, that the Coast Guard does. And then there's a handful of guys, including yourself, Shannon, that that went OCS and officer and started as, uh, you know, an ensign or JG and then lieutenant and continued up. So well done, sir. I appreciate that, man. It was it was an honor. And <clears throat> Honestly, the biggest blessing of my life is to have been a part of that organization, but even just within that organization to be so fortunate to be a part of the rescue swimmer community uh, really truly is the, the greatest honor of my life to be, um, to have a group of guys and gals like that around me and uh, those relationships I take with me for the rest of my life. So very, very, uh, very blessed to be a part of it all. Awesome. Love it, man. I love it. Well, I, I got to ask. So tell me your very first SAR case. And, and I know you remember it because you're like me and it's like, man, it just stands out to you. And you're like, oh yeah, that was my first one. 
Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty funny actually. So you may remember Jeff Johnson. Oh yeah, uh, Jocko. Jocko Johnson. Uh, he he and I went to A school together. We were classmates, and um, uh, we went through the qualification process together to get qualified on the sixty, the, the pre through post flight letter, and all the things that you have to do to get through the swimmer syllabus. We did some time on the one thirty line side for a little bit together. And uh, we basically qualified together. And nice. it just so happened that I had the duty. I was on the rotation right before him. And so he was working nights. And, uh, you know, it was my first duty day as a, as a qualified swimmer. And I'm, I'm over in the barracks sleeping. And uh, Jocko comes in at, you know, 5, 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning and says, Scaff, get up. <laughs> and uh, he turns my light on and I'm, I'm looking at him. He goes, you're getting your first one. And just as soon as he said that, the alarm went off uh, for a medevac off of a Greek container ship. And I thought four years of waiting for school and all of the hell that uh, that is included in school, plus the qualification process. EMT training now comes down <laughs> to this moment and yes. <laughs> it just doesn't really matter what the details of the case are to have everything that you've worked for over the last five years come to this singular moment in time. It's just such an incredible feeling. It's, it was like my Super Bowl, and <laughs> you know, looking back on it now, it was a relatively benign case. It was a hoist of me to a giant container ship that was like the size of 10 football fields, um, you know, and, and flat, calm weather. And it was to do a medevac of a, of a woman who was suffers, suffering uh, some, some internal bleeding. And, um, you know, I, I uh, distinctly remember some of kind of the challenges I, I was faced with that were, you know, sort of language barriers and oh, yeah. you know, getting a, sto a Stokes litter around a corkscrew set of stairs all the way up to a birthing area to load her up and then get her down all of those stairs in the litter. Uh, you know, that's not something I had really trained for in A school. And so it was sort of, okay, well, this is what it's like to really be in it. The sights, the smells, you know, the sensations of being on a ship. And, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it just was an incredible feeling of, of accomplishment and teamwork with, you know, seeing crew resource management and play and just being part of it, sitting in the doorway and thinking to myself, wow, it's come to this moment. And of course, little did I know, but that would be the very beginning of just an incredible ride as an AST. So yeah, I mean, I have a fond memory of my very first case. <laughs> Dude, that is awesome. Oh, there's so much to take out of that too, which makes it even more <laughs> fun because that, like you said, you, you're the only guy that goes down and, and there's a lot of people that don't quite understand is not only as rescue men, but specifically Coast Guard rescue swimmers, we are it. You know, the pararescue guys, they usually they go two at a time or um, whatnot. And there's a pair. For us, it, it's just us. 
and then we have to use all our resources down underneath them. We're figuring stuff out to get our victims or whatnot up to the helicopter. And you did it, man. That's awesome. Dude, what a great first case. Yeah, yeah, it really was. It was, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, one of the things I remember most about that is, of course, Jocko and I went through this process together. And I remember the excitement on his face coming to wake me up that I was going to get my first case. I mean, he was genuinely excited for me. And uh, that, that's one of the things I remember most about, about that is just being woken up by him and him smiling <laughs> ear to ear, just excited that after everything that he and I had just been through, I was going to get my shot, which just was super cool, you know? That is, that is awesome. That's awesome. Shout out to Jocko. Nicely done, Jocko. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Oh, killer. So now kind of getting into your career now you, you've probably seen a couple more or um and I, and I know I remember being in East City while I was an airman and listening to that alarm go off quite a few times in the few months that I was there and it was always for me I, I loved that sound it was like oh yes we get to go you know do what we train to do and and I that was a that was a big moment for me um as somebody that was getting ready to go, what you've already gone through, I'm going to school, but to listen to that, it was like, yes, okay, that I'm driving for that. I want this. And it was a, it was a big factor for me to, you know, get through school and it was awesome. But um, yeah, as you continue there, so you got a, a couple other kind of good size awards and I'm going to touch on the first one real quick and then I'm, I'm going to read the second one. So just to touch on number one is you got an air medal uh, so well done for a, uh, let me read this specifically. It was for Hurricane Floyd that hit Eastern North Carolina. And you participated in rescuing of 115 men, women, and children during the flood relief operations. Dude, that is awesome. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, well, I appreciate that, but I, I got to tell you, the the team effort there went beyond just our immediate air crew. But you know, there, the team effort was really just about. I think every military service was represented there, and that, and you know, I'd be sitting in a hover in the doorway, and just about every ten degrees, I'd look. Uh, there'd be another helicopter off in the distance doing the same thing I was doing. Yeah. Um, th there was enough search and rescue to go around for everybody for days with that one. And, you know, that was in 99, I believe. 1999, uh, September 17 and 18. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. So that was before Katrina, uh, which was, I think, in 2005. And so none of us had ever really seen anything like that in terms of a mass rescue from a hurricane that I could recall in my career. Um, and I don't believe we saw anything after that until Katrina hit. So um, it was pretty crazy. I, I was actually that morning um, when the hurricane had passed over the night before, I was due to be the oncoming swimmer that next morning. And I had no idea, Jason, uh, what was going on at the air station. I lived in the Coast Guard housing complex just outside the main gate. Yep. Uh, no, nobody had called me to say it was Armageddon out there. Um, <laughs> I had no idea that there was anything out of the ordinary happening wow. until I pulled up to the air station. And 
usually the first indication that something is um, is kind of sideways is you'd see all those news media trucks with the satellite dishes up top. Yeah, yep. They, they'd be parked. And so as I rounded the corner, I saw all those. And then I saw the parking lot full of cars. And I thought something is up. And uh, I walked into our shop and there's like 27 rescue swimmers in there, most of which I'd never met because I had only graduated school two years before. And so I hadn't even been to a research yet. Wow. So there was, there was dudes, there was rescue swimmer gear everywhere. There were guys running around. And one guy that I didn't know turns and looks at me frantically and he goes, are you Shannon? And I said, I am. He goes, dude, your aircraft is turned up out there waiting on you. Holy and the first thing God. I did was I looked at my, at, at my watch, you know, and, and turn, it was like seven 15 in the morning and turnover is until eight. So I'm early. And I'm like, somebody want to tell me what's going on. They're like, yeah, you haven't heard, have you? And I said, well, no. He said, well, the Rocky Mount Tarboro area is completely underwater. You're going to want to grab your gear and get out to that plane pretty quick. And oh I just, my God. and that's <laughs> Jason, that's how it happened. And so I literally grabbed my gear. I met up with um, my air crew who was sitting there waiting on me and brief that, you know, um, that I would be there. And, uh, and so they were waiting. And as soon as I got in, uh, there was, uh, I believe news media was there in the plane with us and we took off and we headed towards Rocky mountain. I think it was about a 25 minute flight to the scene. And we had already received tasking to go to a barn um at a specific location where there was known to be um many people uh in this barn and so uh we get there and there's a 65 already in a hover hoisting and we're behind it and there's another helicopter behind us and the 65 moves away we move in and we lowered me to the water and i'm about chest deep water wading through to this barn Jason, I open the door to the barn and all I can see are these blinking eyeballs looking at me. Holy and there God. must have been 60, 70 people in there. Oh my God. In chesty water. <laughs> in a barn that was pitch black. There are people up in rafters. There are men, women, children. Um, and I just said, I, I had no idea when I opened that door what was going to be waiting on me on the other side. And I said, okay, well, let's get busy. And I said, is anybody sick? And there was, there was, you know, one person that wasn't feeling well. I said, all right, children. <clears throat> and I just started taking kids and mothers and one after the other started hoisting them up. And um, by the time I was done, the flight mech signaled to me to be hoisted. I came up into the cabin and it was so full that I couldn't even, I could barely get myself into the plane and shut the, the cabin door behind me. Um, it was literally every place you could put a person in the back of that helicopter, there was a person. Wow. Um, and Jason, we did that all day until we basically worked our way into the bag. Um, and, and we weren't the only ones. There were, there were CH-46s and 65s and maybe Seahawks and just anything and everything was out there hoisting. It was incredible. And of course, you know, some years later, we would come to see Katrina. Right. Um, 
which was a major metropolitan area. You know, Rocky Mountain Tarboro, not so much. It's Eastern North Carolina, relatively rural, but there was a lot of people in trouble that day. Wow. Shannon, well done, man. And it, and it actually does talk about a little of that on the, the award here. Um, it says specifically uh, that in Tarboro, they had a levee break. And that's one of the reasons because the water had gotten, basically the, the, the rains were so heavy that it filled up the, uh, the river and the, the lake and boom, next thing you know, levee breaks and poof, floods out the town. It's crazy. So yeah, it happened really fast. If you look at so Sean Lansing did the first rescue from that, and the night before he was um, he was called out. There was a semi truck that had gotten in trouble, and uh, the, the guy had gotten stuck. And by the time they established themselves in the hover, there was water about at the wheel well of this semi truck. By the time Sean Lansing got into the doorway to pull this truck driver out, the water was pouring in the top of the window. Holy so cow. that's how fast that water rose. Uh, it, it was minutes. And so it caught a lot of people off guard. It's really incredible that more people didn't die in that. It's pretty amazing. Wow, man. Awesome, dude. Awesome. Good job. Good job for you and everybody else. And, and, and I say this with uh, that hurricane, Katrina, Harvey, uh, all of them that, that people have gone to, they, they have a, a really good setup right now where they, and they learn from all these and man, awesome. God, that's killer. <laughs> 60 eyeballs looking at you. You're like, uh, hello. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really quite surprising. Um, you know, oftentimes when we get called out on a search and rescue case, you know, you get the report that it's one thing and then you get on scene and you find that it's something else entirely or not quite as bad or worse. This was one of those situations where I thought I was going to go down and, and hoist like five or six people. And when I opened that big barn door and looked, there were literally people in every, like just, it was everywhere, wall to wall people. And I just thought, Oh, we're going to be here for a while doing this. And uh, it, was, I mean, it was a, it was an incredible, it was an incredible event. Um, and just the coordination that went into that, the teamwork. Um, you know, and you know, what's great about it now. Go around for, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Well, so the greatest part about where you're at now is, is you're on the side that coordinates a lot of that. So is that, is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As the emergency management director for the city, um, yes, it's oftentimes I, I, I have a very unique opportunity working at an executive level now where I can use my experiences and say, listen, you know, when I'm when I'm urging you to leave in advance of a, of a hurricane's arrival, it's because you have a, a, a different perspective as a former Coast Guard swimmer. I was the guy on the end of the hook. And I'm telling you, you don't want to be the person that's being put in a basket. If you're lucky, you get to be a person that's put in a basket. The unlucky ones are the ones that never make it. And, you know, that tends to get people's attention down here in Charleston. You know, we're a low lying area, very flood prone. Yeah. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm probably the only emergency management director in the country that can say, I was, you know, uh, a Coast Guard swimmer, and I was the guy that was put down to rescue you folks. So, trying to do everything I can to 
uh, avoid a, a situation like that. It's pretty, pretty cool. That's awesome. Awesome. God, I love it. All right. So now I, I'm going to move forward a little bit further. So this is, uh, let's see, eight months later, literally eight months later, you earn your second air medal. And I, I'm going to read this because I really want to go into detail with this. It's, it's an amazing story. Citation to accompany the award of the air medal, gold star in lieu of second to AST3 Shannon F. Scaff, United States Coast Guard. Petty Officer Scaff is cited for meritorious achievement while participating in aerial flight on 29 May 2000, serving as a rescue swimmer aboard Coast Guard Helicopter 6031. The air crew was engaged in a perilous night rescue of two persons and their pet dog from the sailing vessel, vessel Irish Mist that sank 110 nautical miles northeast of Coast Guard Air Station Elizabeth City. Petty Officer Scaff provided vital navigation backup and expertly maintained radio guard as the Coast Guard rescue helicopter flew through torrential rains, 60 knot winds, and 200 foot ceilings. Shortly after arriving on scene, Petty Officer Scaft was deployed into the tumultuous seas. While attempting to place the first survivor and the dog into the rescue basket, a 30-foot wave crashed over them, causing the survivor, the basket, and the dog all to become separated. Petty Officer Scaft swiftly recovered each as the flight mechanic stabilized the rescue basket. Undaunted, Petty Officer Scaff negotiated the heavy seas and maintained a physical grasp of the survivor and the dog with one hand and positioned the rescue basket with the other, individually hoisting the survivor and the dog. Petty Officer Scaff's skills were again needed to recover the last survivor from the violent seas. Pressing the limits of his physical endurance, he expertly positioned the survivor in the rescue basket despite repeated battering by the huge waves. Timing the approaching seas with perfection, Petty Officer Scaff quickly gave the ready-for-pickup signal to the flight mechanic, and the survivor was lifted safely aboard the Coast Guard rescue helicopter. Petty Officer Scaff's actions and exceptional skills were instrumental in the life-saving rescue of all on board the sailing vessel Iris Mist. His courage, judgment, and devotion and duty are most heartily commended in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. Dude, what? That's insane. That's <laughs> awesome. You've got a, a lady and her dog and getting hit by a 30-foot wave. What? Sick. Yeah, that was a, that was a fun night. That was a fun night. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, so let's back up to the beginning of this. So you're on duty. Call comes in. Uh, put the Ready H60 on the line. And what do you hear? Yeah. Well, you know, to be honest with you, I, I wasn't the duty swimmer as what? was the case. Yeah. Yeah. So there, so Irish Mist was one of a series of boats that was caught in this Nor'easter Memorial Day weekend. Um, it was the first one to get out of Mayday Call, but there was a couple of other boats to the south, 100 miles to the south, um, that were in even more dire straits. They had some significant injuries on board. And these two individuals and the dog were not injured, though they were not in good shape. Um, th those 30-foot seas definitely battered that boat. There were some folks on these boats to the south that were, as I recall, in, uh, in pretty big trouble, and they were hurt. Oh, and wow. so... Um, 
they had uh, the, the unit sent uh, at least one helicopter, I believe it was two, with C-130 escort down south to rescue those folks. And that was Doug Hanley and Troy Lundgren were involved in those rescues. Awesome. Um, and so I was actually called in to do the Irish Mist rescue. And they were 100 miles offshore, I believe. It was, you know, 2, 3 in the morning. And, uh, you know, as most swimmers do, you take a look and see who your crew, uh, what your crew makeup is. And I had Lieutenant Commander Randy Watson um, as my aircraft commander for that one. And what I distinctly remember is when, when we got on scene, first of all, it's pitch black out there. We were getting bumped around pretty good. You know, if you remember Randy Watson, he was a very seasoned helicopter pilot. I believe he was a former Army aviator, maybe. Um, nice. I, I'm sorry, and, I do not. And I, I I apologize to every pilot there in East City. Uh, the guys that I remember were the swimmers. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that, that's okay. Take my word for it. Randy was top notch. Um, and he, uh, I remember he, he had this very calm demeanor about him. He's a very, very strong communicator, but very calming. And as we're orbiting around the Irish mist, watching this thing get beat up by, uh, by the waves, you know, we're getting ready to make our approach to the water. And, and Lieutenant Commander Watson says, you know, gentlemen, uh, listen, this is one of those nights that we've really got to refresh our, our memories in terms of egress. If we need to get out of this aircraft, um, you're gonna need to do it in a hurry. Wow. Um, and I've got some concerns this evening. And so when, when, a, you know, when an aircraft commander that's seasoned like Randy, that's coming to us from Kodiak, multiple tours in Alaska, uh, when he says something like that, you pay attention. Wow. And um, that's the first thing that I remember about that case. Um, the next thing I remember is it not going as advertised. <laughs> we, we had, to be perfectly honest with you, I'll go on record and say this. We had very little interest in, in picking up that dog. Um, it was a large dog. Um, and it was probably quite frantic. In fact, I can tell you, with absolute certainty, it was really very frantic for a little while. And the briefing that we included to these two individuals on this boat was that we were going to get them and not the dog. Um, just because of the overall risk uh, associated with all of that. And um, we were not going to get the dog. Well, it was no sooner that we had briefed that than this, this the gentleman jumped overboard with the dog, oh both of them with gosh. life jackets and strobes activated. What? And so it was, okay, checklist part two for the harness deployment of the rescue swimmer to the survivor and the dog. Um, so, I mean, it was literally right in the middle of the brief. It was like, okay, um, skip the rest of this. Let's just go get this guy. Um, and so <laughs> I, lowered to the, I lowered to the water and, um, you know, you've been hoisted to heavy seas, Jason. You know what that's about. That first one hits you, and it's it's a wake-up call. Yeah. Um, it's one thing to be in the, in the aircraft looking down. It's another thing when the first one hits you and you start swinging. You, you start to realize the totality of, of the 
power and, and circumstances. And you start to feel like you're very, very small <laughs> in a very vast ocean. Um, and, and, and so I disconnected and, and I went to go get this guy. And to be honest, with you, I was a little bit irritated with him because he just completely blew off our brief, literally jumped overboard with this dog in the middle of the brief. So you're swimming um, towards him, just pissed off. You're like, you son was, of a beast. Yeah, I was. Oh, I was shit, because, I love it. <laughs> yeah, because now, now see, I don't know this dog. I, you know, um, you know, Jason, I mean, they can turn in, a, in an instant. And when they're backed into a corner, it's, it is fight for survival for them. They don't know that I'm there to help them. Right. So um, I swim up to the guy and I, I just remember it being very loud at the surface of the water. It was very windy. Um, the waves crashing around us. It was just extremely loud, almost jet engine loud. And so I'm yelling at him to hold his dog and I've got him and do exactly what I say. Nice. And he's, his eyes are as as big as a dinner plate. Okay. And he just rolled over and I did a kind of an, a, a standard equipment carry, just grabbed his life jacket and started to pull him towards the basket. And the, the basket was lowered down. Our, our hoist operator flight mechanic was uh, Adam Sustacek, um, who had a great, great flight mech, but had never hoisted to any conditions like that. And okay. any seasoned flight mech will tell you that when you're in big, big you know, mountainous seas, you've got to put out a lot more cable because that basket's going to be very susceptible to being jerked around as the waves drop out from under you. Agreed. And uh, Adam, unfortunately, did not pay out a whole lot of slack for me. And uh, he, he just didn't know. He just didn't have yeah. that experience yet. But he was about to get it. <laughs> and I, I grabbed the basket and as quickly as I could, and Jason, you'll, you'll know this, there's always that very uncomfortable period of time when you're under the aircraft and you've got that equipment around you and you've got a survivor and there's just a lot going on and a lot to think about in that moment. Um, and it can be very unforgiving. And so as I'm trying to put this individual and manipulate him so that he goes in the way we want him to with the dog who is going crazy. Um, oh, oh, the wave, one of those waves drops out from under us and breaks over the top of us. And I'm in a washing machine at that point. I feel the basket rip out of my hands. I come to the surface of the water. I'm nowhere near the position relative to the aircraft that I was. I look to my left and I see the gentleman waving his arms at me. He's probably already 40, 50 feet away from me, just in seconds. Wow. And then I look beyond him and I see the dog. And so I'm like, okay, well, dog's gone. Uh, I now have to go recover my survivor. And what is the thing they teach you in school as a student? To never let go of your survivor, right? Right. Well, I'm here to tell you, Mother Nature has other plans. <laughs> you know, uh, we, we know to maintain grip of our of our survivor, and that's all great in the textbook. Yeah. But when you get into the real environment, sometimes you don't have a choice. It's going right. to take what it wants to take. Yeah. And and so I went back and got the individual, and you know, um, with my tail between my legs a little bit, having you know, let go of him. Um, 
I went recovering. You know what, Shannon, just for the record, I'll give you a pass for that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all's mother, well that ends well. Mother all's nature well well. one, Shannon zero. Don't Great. worry. Shannon wins the battle. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I, I get to win the war. I, I won the, you know. But uh, but anyway, I, I did recover him and and uh, um, I'm yelling into my radio, pay out slack, pay out slack. Well, basket comes down and uh, man, Adam just zipped all the line out of that hoist <laughs> right into the water. Uh, he learned his lesson there and uh, um, you know, I had plenty of cable to work with, got the guy in the basket, hoisted him up without a vent. And then I turned around and looked and I could still see the faint strobe light on that dog. And I thought, I'm going to give this a shot. Let's just see what happens. Cause it's going to make for a great story if nothing else, but maybe I'll su- <laughs> I saved the life of a dog. All right. We'll see. Oh man. Well, remember this Labrador was, was very, very aggressive. Okay. So yeah. I was, I was taking a chance with this guy. So I swim up to him and he's looking at me and he's frantically paddling any and every direction. He has no idea where he's going. He's just, he's out of his mind at this point. And I can see that and he's tired. And so I come up to him and I spin him around and he immediately goes away. So I'm doing a, I'm doing a, an equipment carry on a life jacket that's being worn by a dog and he is a hundred percent cooperative with everything I'm telling him. <laughs> so yes! I, I, again, I look up, Adam drops the basket down. I put the dog in the basket. He's the sweetest thing ever. It doesn't fight me at all. And I can, as I'm talking to you right now, I can see the look in this dog's face as he's peering through the bottom of the basket, looking at me while he's being hoisted into the aircraft. From there, I was hoisted back into the plane. And we re-established a position over the sailboat to pick up the last survivor, the female, who I believe was really the captain of that vessel. Okay. And she jumped over, and and uh, I did the same thing. Just did a harness delivery to the to the water, and and uh, recovered her, put her in a basket, and off we went. And that's you know it was kind of just another just another night for the Coast Guard. Um, you know, great, again, a great team effort. Uh, we all learned something that night. You know, again, the thing that sticks out most to me was the very stoic Randy Watson and his his voice and telling us, guys, we need to not blow through our egress procedures tonight. Let's, uh, let's really pay close attention to what we're, just go through in your mind, please, what you're gonna do if we have to ditch. Um, that it was the only time I'd ever heard a pilot say anything like that with such, um, uh, just such focus and and um, and so much meaning behind it. The, the, the man was really um, concerned, and uh, that, that meant a lot coming from a dude that had been in Kodiak a couple of times. Wow. Yeah, it makes your butt pucker a little bit when you're when all you know. <laughs> <laughs> you get on the aircraft, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, he's telling me I probably need to pay attention. Oh my gosh. Man. Yeah. Uh, Shannon, that's awesome. That is awesome. Good job. Good job. You and the whole crew. It. Awesome job. Awesome Thank you. job. 
All right, now I, I want to get into uh, another one. And this one is, um, you and I talked about this offline just a little bit, and that is the write-up on this uh, is only, it, it's okay. You know, like you earned uh, this, you and Troy Lundgren earned this together on an amazing case. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read the first part of this, uh, and I'm going to stop at about halfway through because and this is no offense to anybody that wrote it, but it doesn't, the write-up doesn't do it justice to what you guys had to go through. So uh, if that's okay with you, I'll read it right up until um, uh, basically the weather had deteriorated and, and, uh, and things went south. And, and that's when you guys, you guys, plural, two swimmers uh, ended up saving four people. So is that cool? Yeah, sounds good, man. All right. So uh, your, your next big one, citation to accompany the award of the Distinguished Flying Cross to Shannon F. Scav, Aviation Survival Technician, third class, United States Coast Guard. Petty Officer Scaff is cited for extraordinary heroism while participating in aerial flight on 25 January 2000 while serving as rescue swimmer aboard Coast Guard HH-60J Helicopter 6009. The crew was engaged in a rescue of four fishermen from the fishing vessel Abby Ann Smith that was being plummeted by the sudden onset, onset of a vicious nor'easter. The storm was producing 60-knot turbulent winds and generating a 25-foot confused sea. Ceilings ranged from 100 to 300 feet and visibility dropped to one eighth of a mile in the driving <laughs> rain, snow, sleet, and freezing temperatures. The Abbey Ann Smith's master reported that he was unable to keep up with the flooding, green water washing into the lower holds. The flooding caused the vessels to lose its backup battery power, leaving its onboard bilge pump systems inoperative. The Coast Guard rescue hel helicopter delivered a dewatering pump to the vessel, but the pump was inoperative. The Coast Guard helicopter returned to Elizabeth City to refuel and pick up more dewatering pump. Petty Officer Scaff volunteered to go out as a backup swimmer. When the Coast Guard helicopter returned <laughs> to scene, the weather had deteriorated. And then from there, I'm going to ask you to pick it up because, again, the writing does not do it justice with this. So... Shannon, you're volunteering to jump on to the aircraft with a swimmer that's already there. And they had already gone out to drop one pump and have to come back to get more. Wow. Okay. Hit me. Like, how, what happened? Yeah. So um, with that, that search and rescue case with the Abby Ann Smith, um, you know, again, it was a situation where I was actually not on duty. Uh, Troy Lundgren, who I mentioned earlier, was on duty. And, and you'll agree with me, Troy and stature in terms of physical stature, his level of professionalism. <laughs> totally. um, Troy epitomizes everything that you would you would believe in a, a Coast Guard swimmer or even, dare I say, a Navy SEAL or Air Force yeah. Pararescue guy. This guy just... Ex exudes badass, right? Everybody <laughs> Six foot knows four, that. wide shoulders, skinny yeah, waist, square totally jaw. ripped. I mean, yeah. <laughs> just a really intense guy. But I mean, the, the 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 man that I looked up to, I believe most 
and my ASM, AST career was Troy Lundgren. And he happened to be the duty swimmer that night. And uh, I was just doing the, what we call the mid watch. So it was my job along with some other line crew members to go out and wash airplanes and do maintenance on the aircraft overnight until eight o'clock the next morning. And then I'd go home and go to bed. Well, I showed up for my shift at about 1130 that night and it's blowing 60, 70 mile an hour winds out there. It was like a hurricane uh, in January. So it was pretty miserable night on coastal North Carolina. And uh, the first thing I notice when I get out of my car as like I'm able to push against the wind with my door to get out is I can hear a 60 on the other side of the hangar deck turned up. And I'm like, well, that's not engine. That's not engine trials. That, that, not on a night like this. Yeah. Um, that's a case. And so I, I walked into the swimmer shop, got my stuff together and, and walked on over to the hangar to learn what was happening. And as I walked up, the, uh, the night shift crew was there and I said, Hey, somebody want to tell me what's going on. And, you know, I said, well, yeah, they got this, this boat that's, um, off of Virginia beach right now. That's taking on water. And I looked at the, 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 the chart behind them and could see who the crew was. And I saw that it was Troy and I said, well, he's getting, he's going to get a good one tonight. And, uh, um, they went on out there. I think they were gone for about an hour and a half or so came on back and I couldn't wait to line up with my mentor and find out what he had seen. Cause I could only imagine what the conditions were like out there. I mean, it was definitely the nastiest night that I had seen uh, in my time there in North Carolina. Um, definitely by far um, just in terms of temperature, wind, uh, precipitation blowing sideways. It was a terrible, terrible night. Um, and so they, they come back, shut down after they land and, and, uh, they, they come into the, the, the hangar door and there's Troy and, you know, they all look beat up. I mean, beat up. And I, you know, I, I said, Hey man, tell me what, what are you seeing out there? And he said, it's not over Shannon. This is a bad one. Holy and, cow. And they're walking into the operations center, all of them kind of in a single file line with the aircraft commander leading the way. He said, we're headed into the ops center right now. The guys are having a hard time keeping the pump running, which was pretty standard. You know, we maintain these dewatering pumps to the nth degree. All of us know them inside out. We run them every month. And we know that if there's a problem with the dewatering pump, it's typically the operator and not a malfunction of the equipment itself. I very much um, agree with that statement. They just and, because... and you have to understand these guys, you know, they're out of these survivors that are out there. That's the first time they've ever even seen a pump. So it makes sense um, yeah. that they would have a hard time with it. And um, he said, I'm going to go into the operations center, get on the radio with them and see if I can talk them into, you know, getting these pumps started. And I said, well, Troy, do you mind if I follow you in there? He said, no, not at all, because I really genuinely wanted to watch this thing happen amongst this crew that just went out there and risked their lives to rescue these four fishermen. And, yeah. and so I walk into the operations center and uh, they're all huddled around the radio and Troy is on the radio with them trying to talk them, you know, into how to run the, uh, how to run the pump. 
And at some point I could see the frustration on Troy's face and he, he pulls the radio mic away from him and he looks at the aircraft commander, Mark Ward and uh, John Milton, both ACs, uh, both lieutenants, yep. uh, both great guys. And he looks at them and he says, uh, gentlemen, this is not going to work. These guys are not getting it. And this, in terms of my Coast Guard career, is probably, uh, other than losing a friend in the helicopter crash, one of the most defining moments for me in terms of when I look back at my career, the most defining moment. These four men, Troy and Craig Davis, who is a brand new, right out of school flight mech, and two relatively junior pilots looked at each other and together they made a decision to go back out and try to do this again after they had just had their asses handed to them. Um, apparently this flight was very, very rough. Very, I mean, when I tell you these dudes looked like they were defeated, when they came in, they were exhausted. I'd never seen anything like this before. Wow. One of the pilots, uh, John Milton, um, excused himself from the group. He said, gentlemen, can I have a minute? He went into the bathroom and sort of left everybody there to kind of chat for him. And he came back out and he said, I'm in. And uh, Mark Ward, the other lieutenant who was sitting right seat, said, well, look, we don't go unless we're all in. And there's no shame in one person saying we're not going back out. Wow. Holy um, shit. This really happened. This really happened. I watched this happen. And these men were speaking from the heart. This was as legit a thing as I'd ever seen amongst four aircrew members. And John Milton, who was sitting left seat before, uh, what I came to learn was he went into the bathroom and prayed about this. That's why he went to the bathroom. Um, he excused himself. He was in there for probably 30, 45 seconds. He came back out and said, I'm in. It, it, it makes me emotional. It's the reason why it's such an impactful moment for me is these four men legitimately came together and agreed together from the most junior to the most senior to go out and do this together, knowing full well they may not make it back. Holy shit. That literally happened, Jason. I watched it happen. When you think about Troy, who is basically a Greek god, <laughs> Okay. That's such a true uh, statement too. <laughs> it really is. He's a, he's like an NFL linebacker, this guy. And he, he was humbled. Um, they decided to go out. And so I looked at Troy as I walked them out of the, you know, out of the op center into the, into the hangar and walked with them to the door. And I said, go get them, big dude. I mean, you know, this is your night. This is your case. Go get them. And I was, I was as happy for him as Jocko was for me on my first case. Yeah. You know, that's how we are with one another. Cause that each one of those cases is like our Super Bowl, Right. And you only get so many of those in your career. Some, you know, a lot of swimmers, most swimmers, in fact, never see a case like that. 
True. It doesn't happen often. And, and so Troy walked out uh, with the rest of the crew, you know, got himself strapped into the aircraft. I heard the engines spool up. They released the rudder brake and the phone rang. And the 60 maintenance control chief answered the phone. It was Dennis Hennessy. And he goes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We got him right here. And he holds the phone away from his mouth and he goes, Shannon, you got your gear ready? <laughs> and I, I, I looked at him and I said, who is it? And he goes, it's the D5 Admiral. Oh my said, God. Are you kidding me? He goes, no. He goes, uh, they want a second swimmer on this plane. Holy shit. So I didn't know this at the time, but these guys were, these guys were feeling 60 foot seas that night. Oh my God. So the offshore buoys were reporting, you know, 40 to 60 foot uh, and, and even greater waves off of Virginia beach. They were about 40 miles off of Virginia beach. They were not going to make it to shore. They were not going to make it. And the district five Admiral called and said, I want a second swimmer on that plane because they knew that Troy was going in the water. Wow. And if something happened, they wanted a backup to go get Troy. And that's why I was there. Wow. I was Troy's backup. If Troy got in trouble, it was on me to, to get down there and get it. And wow. the gravity that comes with that, like you said earlier, most of the time, Jason, we work, you know, we work alone in terms of once we leave the aircraft. Yeah. You know, in a lot of ways, we're alone. Um, in some ways, we're very much not alone. We have a crew there. We have like 130 over our heads, you know, um, still very much a team. But there are, there are some real aspects to this job that are very lonely. <laughs> and, right. and so to be involved in a case like that with a guy like Troy, um, and to have it on me to be his backup uh, was something any one of us would have taken very seriously, and I did. Um, and so I, I went and got my gear, and uh, I fought through that wind to get to the aircraft. And, and the cabin door opened, and I'm, I'm soaking wet already. And yeah. all I can see is, is Troy Lund Lundgren looking like Cheshire Cat with a big <laughs> grin on his face and ear to ear sitting in the, in the basic, in the BA seat, you know, and, and this green glow stick, you know, hanging from behind him and, you know, his smile, right? Yeah. I mean, Troy had that big, you know, that big smile and, and, uh, you know, I plugged in the ICS and he said, you ready to do this with me tonight? And that was the first thing. And they, they all kind of laugh for a second. I'm like, man, this is nuts. This is nuts. <laughs> Jason, the first indication of what I was getting ready to get into was when we pulled in to, to do a hover check. Okay. So they pulled power, you know, we got away from the hangar and they pulled power and immediately the aircraft started jolting around. 
Wow. And, you know, we, how many times have you been sitting in a 60 and, and it pulled into a hover and you're used to that sensation. And if something's weird, you know it right away. It sounds different. It feels different. Yep. This was one of those nights where they pulled into a hover and it was not like it normally feels. It was a struggle from the very beginning. Dang. And, you know, I back up and I tell you, the pilot that sat right seat for the first sortie said we can go out, but I can't take right seat again. He forfeited the right seat because he couldn't do it again. Wow. So we went ahead and nosed over and we headed out and made the trek across Eastern North Carolina out offshore. And it's pitch black and we're getting bumped all over the place. It's pretty quiet and nobody's really saying much. And we get out to this boat and, you know, pilot calls 90 seconds out and uh, we got him in sight. And I look down, the cabin door comes open, you know, uh, and the night sun is on this boat. And I look down, I'm on Gunner's belt, and I look down, and it's my first visual on what's getting ready to happen. I could not believe the conditions, man. I, I couldn't believe, this is something you Kodiak guys see. This boat, it was a big fishing boat, was getting thrown around like it was nothing. I mean, I thought it was going to capsize bow over stern, honestly. I don't know how it didn't capsize. And, oh and so um, the waves, you know, I, I, I can picture it right now. It was, they were just enormous. Um, it was almost cartoon-like. And, and so what we did was we briefed that uh, there was a, a big discussion about whether Troy was going to do a direct deployment, which we know is sometimes very hard to do in heavy seas. Right. Um, uh, you know, it's where the, the swimmer stays attached to the cable and has to rely on the conning commands of the hoist operator to literally get them within arm's reach of a survivor. Not an easy thing to do when you're in 60 foot waves. Yeah, Not an easy no, thing to do in 60 foot waves. The cable management on the flight mech side of things, just to be able to do that, is insane. And it was Craig Davis. And Craig was right out of A school. It was his first unit. Uh, he'd never seen anything like this. And, and so Craig did a phenomenal job delivering two dewatering pumps to this vessel. Now he's being asked to do a direct deployment of Troy not to some junior rescue swimmer, but of Troy, yeah. who is one of the, you know, an incredibly seasoned, smart, godlike rescue swimmer. That's not somebody you want to, somebody you want to jerk around. You want to be on your A game with a guy like that. Yeah, because you know if you mess him up, he's gonna come back to the aircraft and beat you to death. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're gonna mess up one time. The next time they're gonna get another another flight neck. So <laughs> so poor Craig's feeling the pressure on this thing. And let me tell you something, he answered incredibly and, and and so he puts troy down and um 
one minute turns into five, turns into 10, turns into 20, turns into 30. And we still don't have this first survivor yet. Oh my God. It took a half hour of fighting. It felt like a half hour of trying to line, you know, it would be, it'd be a forward and right 20, back, 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 you know, forward and right 15, hold, back, back, back. Like it just, the, the, the conning commands were all over the place because Craig just simply could not get Troy in a position and then lower him down because the waves were so big that it's, it's all about timing. And these seas are all over the place and it just wasn't working. And so I called for an abort. I called for an abort. Everybody was fixated that the, the two pilots, one pilot in the left seat's calling out, you know, power, 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 because there's a wave that's over the top of the helicopter. Jesus. Uh, you know, his only job was to look out the windscreen and call out waves. And the other pilot is actually flying the aircraft and doing everything he can to keep us from hitting the water. And, and then the, the hoist operators in the back, you know, doing everything he can to cable management and, and conning and everything else. And I'm back there trying to help him and just praying to God that nothing, you know, Troy's going to be okay. Meanwhile, there's a guy in a Gumby suit down there floating around. You know, one of these guys going to pick me up out of water. By the way, it's January, three o'clock in the morning in 60 foot waves. And uh, I called for the abort. And so, you know, in calling for the abort, uh, we raised him back up. No questions asked. You know, you know how it goes when you say abort, it's abort. It's not, hey, let's talk right. about this and maybe we don't abort. It was abort. Abort means abort. And so Troy came up into the aircraft and uh, his eyes were as wide as dinner, dinner plates, you know. And to see Troy look like that, uh, very sobering, very sobering to see Troy have his ass handed to him like that. He was beat up, swinging around down there on that cable, getting beat up by these waves and uh, no no closer to picking up that survivor who's still down there in the water, by the way. Jeez, and, man. And so I, I said, all right, Troy got on ICS and I said, look guys, I said, direct deployment's not working. I, I recommend harness deployment, let Troy swim to the guy. That's what he does, he swims. I remember saying that which is kind of a snarky comment, but I never <laughs> signed up for the direct deployment anyway. I wasn't a fan of it with this one. And I just didn't think it was going to go well. And it didn't, it didn't go well. And, and so one of the pilots up front said, Shannon, I don't want to do that. I don't want to lose Troy tonight. I said, I'm there. That's why I'm here. We're not going to lose anybody tonight. Let Troy swim. Troy, how do you feel? And Troy said, couldn't agree with Shannon more. Uh, I don't want to go back down and try another direct deployment. Um, it just isn't working. And, and by the way, we're constantly running out of gas. So, yeah. Yeah. and there's three people still on that fishing vessel. Holy and so cow. We, we really got to get this. We've really got to get this going. We don't have a lot of time here. Um, so we, you know, long story short, Jason, we, we put Troy down, he disconnected from the cable and, and, and he swam up to the survivor. And, you know, Craig put the basket down and, and uh, uh, you know, Troy manipulated the, the, the man into the basket and, and we hoisted him up and then we hoisted Troy up and, and uh, everything was good. Well, on, on his way up, Mark Ward says, uh, Shannon, what do you think about uh, 
we, we put you down for the second one because you know Troy had been through the ringer just then. Yeah. Two deployments, one recovery, uh, probably a maximum of 40, 45 minutes in the water. And we've got one guy picked up so far. Holy cow. And uh, it was in that moment that I thought, wow. Okay. I mean, I was resigned to, I'm here to be a backup. This is Troy's case. Well, well now this changes things. Now I'm getting ready to be the guy. And it's going to be Troy's turn to be my backup. And I said, well, let, let's see how Troy feels. Um, and he comes up and again, he's got this look on his face. Like, you know, he just got slapped at the dinner table. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, he gets on ICS and I said, Troy, how do you feel? And he goes, how about you get this one? Like, I didn't even have to, we didn't have to run it by him. He said, how about you take this one? I'll take the third one. You take the last one. We'll, we'll, we'll back and forth on it. Um, wow. What a great idea. Like, said, right, it, like my mind blown yeah. right now. You've got me from, from the time that you called an abort to like reset everybody. That's such a big moment in this case to now you and Troy are going to go, one for one to get that, that break, that 10, 15 minute break in the aircraft. Brilliant. Brilliant. Worked out really well. It did. It worked out really well. I went down, I got the second guy. Um, same thing. I disconnected from what I remember is, you know, of course I, I'm, I'm trying to stay situated so I can keep my eyes on him, but of course I'm getting blown all over the place from the wind and the, the rudder wash and, you know, everything in between. Um, trying to, you know, keep my arms straight, my, my legs situated so I can maintain eye contact with him. And before I know it, I'm in the water and I can see his strobe light going off and it, it seems like he's a hundred yards from me. And I disconnect and I start swimming towards him and I'm going down one wave and, and I see him at the top of another one and oh, he's still a good distance away. Get to the top of the wave back down and boom, he's right there already like holy cow man you were you were a football field away from me and within seconds he is right on top of me that's how fast everything was moving around and i literally had to grab him as he was passing me because he's in a gumby suit on the surface getting blown all over the place and yeah you know I'm, i literally had to grab him as he was passing me by and, and so I grabbed him and, um, you know, I put him in the basket and, and then I got hoisted and then Troy went down to get the third one. And then here we are, we're at the last one. And I just had this feeling that if something's going to happen, it's going to be now. If something bad is to happen, it's going to happen now. And I just had this feeling of like, real concern that something bad was getting ready to happen um is very troubling and these hoists were high because the, the seas were high and we had i think we had a rat out hold feature set at 80 feet and so as a wave would cross under us we would show 20 and then we'd go back to 80 again so they were consistently six people waves holy cow and as we recovered the last guy and I, I got into the basket, which by the way, I was never a fan of. It just felt uncomfortable. I felt very defenseless sitting in the basket. Yeah. Um, I got in the basket and 
you know, got jolted out of the water. And before I know it, I'm, you know, 40 feet, 50 feet in the air and I'm swinging really, really bad. And as I'm swinging, I, I can almost see the front of the aircraft and then pendulum swing the other way. And I look over my left shoulder and I can see it right now as I'm talking to you. I was sure I was getting ready to hit the stabilator and the tail rotor blades. Holy like, shit. It was the most violent swing. And, you know, funny enough, that actually makes it into the Distinct Flying Cross citation, into my award citation. Is it, I knew Purely impacted the tail of the aircraft. It, it does from say it. That uh, swing. And actually, I, if you don't mind, I, I'm going to read that specifically because um, it does talk about it where you, uh, the swing, let's see, uh, the violent motion of the helicopter and strong winds made the hoist extremely hazardous. The swing from the hoist when yanked from the waves was uncontrollable he swung wildly beneath the helicopter he almost was able to touch the stabilator during the last hoist crazy yeah i i was within you know i just remember thinking to myself i'm way too close to the tail rotor blades right now like it, it was not anything i had ever seen before it was it was completely out of control i was spinning and swing simultaneously and I just remember looking over my left shoulder and literally thinking I may hit the tail right now oh my um, God. and I'm yelling at the top of my lungs which nobody can hear me because I'm down under the aircraft I just kept saying come on come on come on like it was it was a very very powerful and scary I'm going to say five to seven seconds um, until I was able to get, you know, just outside the doorway. Um, that was another sort of defining moment for me is, you know, I had swung, we all have swung under the aircraft before. Yeah. I had never swung like that. Like that was next level shit yeah. right there. I've so, never, I've never had um, that bad ever like i've had some pretty bad spins and some pretty bad swings but I, nothing to that extreme not even close like i, I yeah. you know i hear guys that have yeah. looked in from the left side of the aircraft and they're looking like through the cabin you know like or you know, it might be an exaggeration but they're up in that to to go all the way to the back i personally have never experienced that nor do i want to so dude yeah. Yeah, not a comfortable feeling. You are pretty defenseless when you're on the hook, but especially sitting in the basket like that, you just feel like you can't fend anything off. You're just sort of along for the ride. It's not a comfortable feeling. Wow. Shannon. Holy cow. <laughs> so now oh, I, I you're you get back in the aircraft and and then you've got all all four survivors. I mean, you guys, you and Troy together have, have I mean, I'm, I, you know what, you and the entire crew have got to have such a sigh of relief that it's over. And yet you still have to fly back a hundred miles or, or whatever, you know, to get back to the air station. You're not yeah. done. Like even, even though you're done, you're not done. Right. 
Yeah, it's it's uh, you're not done until the plane has landed and you've shut down, especially in weather like that. But you know, and in all honesty, um, it you know, with cases like this, it's not often until the next day that it it hits you when you when you're called to do a mission like that. Um, you just go out there and you do what you do. And, and, you know, people refer to folks like us as heroes. Um, and, and, you know, it's almost cliche. Nah, we're not heroes. We're just doing our job. Right. But those aren't just words. That, that, that's legitimately how we feel when we go out there and do what we've been trained to do. And we do it for the love of the job we do it out of appreciation for being in a position and having the ability to do something like that. Yeah. We do it for the brotherhood. Uh, we don't do it for the medals. We don't do it for the news interviews. We don't do it for the notoriety or the books or the toys or the movie sales or whatever. It's not why we do this stuff. And, I can't agree with you more. I really cannot um, agree with you more. I, it, I, it's really about our brotherhood and the connection between yourself and another air crew member and the, the machine that you're flying um, and to save lives. And, you know, um, the gravity of these scenarios, you know, of mine and all of the other folks that get into this line of work that you're going to interview over time, you know, I bet we would all agree that sometimes it never hits us yeah. what, what's happened. Or if it does, it's a delayed entry. It, it it hits you the next day where you're walking around a, a grocery store and you're reflecting on what just happened the night before. And I found myself looking around at just random people who had no idea about <laughs> what I just put myself through, you know, like they're just living their lives yeah. and going about their day-to-day -day business and had no idea that just 40 miles to the East absolute hell was breaking loose last night. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's it's very humbling uh, to to be in a city. It's a very strange place to be to go through things like that. And it's like folks go off to war, you know, and they're they're, they're deployed for nine months or a year, and then they come back, and like life as you know it is just continuing. And that that's how it is for us as Coast Guard swimmers. We we go out and we do the thing, and sometimes these cases are disastrous. Yeah. where people don't make it, we're recovering bodies and, you know, things like that. And, and those things weigh heavily on us, but we've got to come back and function in a shop and, and function in life and our, in our relationships, you know, and it's hard to do that. It's very hard to do that, to, to flip that switch, to compartmentalize what you've just been through and go on and function as not a Coast Guard swimmer, but just as a person in society. Um, it's very hard to do. Shannon, I cannot agree with you more. You are spot on with everything you're saying. It's, um, you know, Jason, it, it, it is the, I think I said this, it is the, the greatest blessing of my life to have been a part of that. And it was, it's probably the greatest years of my life. I'll, I'll, I'll continue to try to work to, to find something better, but I'm going to be hard pressed 
to find anything that tops being a part of something like that. Uh, you know, um, I, I, I find, you know, the beauty in life and the fun things in different ways now. And I, I sometimes have to get creative because, you know, once a Coast Guard swimmer, always a Coast Guard swimmer. <laughs> we got to find ways to scratch that itch. But yes, uh, sir. It truly is the it truly is the greatest honor of my life to be part of that rescue swimmer brotherhood, to have my number along with so many others out there. And um, I'm just very grateful. Wow, man, Shannon, I cannot thank you enough for sharing that. And, you know, for me, it's like everybody out there, if you Google this, you could easily read any of the awards and, and whatnot, but it's, it's another thing to be, to be told the backstory and, and to really get into the details. And this, this is why I love talking about this stuff. I mean, you and I have sat down about a couple other cases and stuff, and it's just, you know, it's us boys in the shop, you know, right? just telling stories, see stories. Right. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome job. Awesome job to the I whole crew, that. man. You guys, this was gnarly. Four <laughs> lives saved, straight up. They they would not have come home, guaranteed. Not no, that. no, they probably would not have made it that night. No, it was it was a situation, and you know the four guys before I became part of the crew, they discussed that. They one of the guys said, "Look, I don't want to add pressure to this, but we have to say it. We don't go out there, and these four are not going to make it tonight." I mean, I remember, I believe it was Mark Ward that said that. Um, and they all agreed that's not a stretch. They're, they're, they won't survive. And they wouldn't have. They wouldn't, they would not have survived. They would have killed them. Wow. God certainly blessed us with a skill that we that he knew was going to be needed. So I'm happy I'm yeah. part of this brotherhood as well. Very much so. Yeah. So man. Oh gosh. Shit, and I, I'm I'm like beside myself right now. This just incredible. <laughs> You've done an amazing job. You've had such an amazing career. Um, I, I do want to touch on one thing I, and I don't want to take away from this, but I, I do want to bring up a couple of things because you actually haven't stopped, which is amazing to me. And, and one of the things that just one is you, you did a swim for 24 hours for those that have lost their lives, because we have four rescue swimmers that died in the line of duty, two of them were on SAR cases, and two of them were in training flights, they'll never, they're never going to come back. Um, and you did something that no other swimmer has done to date, uh, and that was do a 24-hour swim in memory of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, I, I mentioned, you know, there's a couple of times in our careers and in our lives that are pivotal defining moments for us. And, uh, February 28, 2012, uh, was one of those moments for me. Um, the, uh, the coast guard tail number six, five, three, five, uh, helicopter out of, uh, uh, aviation training center mobile, um, had a crew of four on board that went out to do night swimmer work for um, Lieutenant uh, uh, Thomas Cameron, who was getting ready to finish up his transition course and go on to Brinken out of flight training. 
And uh, he was being instructed, instructed by uh, uh, Lieutenant Commander Dale Taylor, who was probably, not probably, he was definitely one of the three most influential men in my life. Um, Dale and I flew together in Savannah at uh, Hunter Army Airfield for the time before I went to officer candidate school. And uh, we, we became very close and, and we, you know, had stayed in touch with each other over the years after, after my tour completed. Um, they were on a training flight and they were finished with the training portion of the flight and were transitioning to forward flight to get on back to, uh, to ATC Mobile and went inadvertent uh, instrument conditions. And um, essentially, I believe they had turned around to kind of reestablish where they started the flight from. And we're going to go, I think, special visual rules back to the Aviation Training Center. A, a fog layer had developed over the top of them while they were, they were in close to the water. And um, they got themselves in a situation where they were disoriented, um, spatial disorientation and vertigo. And uh, essentially, um, they did what we call a controlled flight uh, into terrain, essentially flew the aircraft into the water um, unknowingly. Um, and it uh, unfortunately resulted in the loss of all four of those crew members and uh my buddy dale uh the aircraft commander was one of them and uh we lost a swimmer and uh, chief fernando george um andrew knight who was a very junior hoist operator flight mechanic and thomas cameron who uh, was finishing up his final steps of flight training brand new very talented a uh, young junior officer who was just starting his career, all four of them wiped out uh, in an instant. And the loss of that aircraft and the loss of Dale for me personally um, rocked me to my core for a very, very long time. Um, to say it was devastating to me would be a, a gross understatement. Um, I was beside myself. Uh, and just really had a very, very hard time for a long time with that crash. Um, and I was not dealing with the stages of grief in a way that was healthy. Um, and I recognized it. I knew that I was fixating. I was not able to get over it. People seemed to be moving on and I wasn't. Um, and I felt like I needed to do better by myself. And I felt like that's not something Dale would want for me. Um, and so I chose to do something constructive to turn my grief into something that maybe was positive. Nice. And, and so uh, I, I reached out to Dale's wife, uh, Teresa, and I asked her what her thoughts would be if I set out on an endeavor to do a memorial swim for Dale. And she said, well, Shannon, you know, not only do I appreciate that, um, but the timing is just right. It, you know, coming up on three years since the crash, um, all the hoopla is sort of gone, you know, the memorial services and all the stuff. Yeah. Um, and so it would just be nice to, to see something like that, to, to continue to remember Dale 
And, um, you know, I had two small boys and certainly wouldn't mean a lot to them. Not only do I, do I agree with it, but I'll be there to watch you do the swim. So I decided from that, since I had her blessing, that I would go ahead and set out on an endeavor to swim uh, 24 hours nonstop uh, to, you know, to remember Dale. And um, that was a nine month process that began with me watching a um, presentation that was given by uh, David Goggins, who's a, retired Navy SEAL. I believe he was a chief when he retired. Um, Back in 2013, he came to Charleston with Marcus Luttrell from the Lone Survivor and Operation Red Wings mission. They came to Charleston and and spoke and and a buddy of mine went and saw that presentation. It was fantastic. And uh, I was just so enthralled by David Goggins and just what an incredible human being and his spirit and just everything that moves him and makes him what he is. I could really connect with that as an AST. And I just thought, you know what, man, I'm going to, I'm going to follow this guy's lead and I'm going to use the fire that's inside me to do something positive with what, with what's hurting me. And um, I'm going to turn this around and I'm going to make it into something positive. And That's awesome. And so I did, man, I, I, I set on a journey to, to, to train, to swim for 24 hours. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, <laughs> not, not every day. There's, there's not a lot of, not a lot of information out there for someone that wants to swim in a pool or 24 hours straight on in terms of what to do, how to train, what to eat, what not to eat, how often yeah. to eat. And so I got in and I just started doing it. I mapped out a, 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 a training plan over nine months, jockeyed the throttles a little bit, figured out what worked, what didn't. And, and the way I did this, Jason, was I, I started out with uh, measured distances. So I did one mile and two and three and four and six and eight and 10. And once I got to 10 miles, I'm like, okay, well, how many hours am I, am I spending doing these long swims? And these were nonstop. So eight and 10 miles nonstop in a pool. That's a long way, boy. And it was a 25 meter pool. So it was back, forth, back, forth, back, forth, yeah. back, forth, back, forth. <laughs> um, which, which made me sick. It, it made me sick. It was a lot of, you know, just the, the directional change and just, you know, a lot of things we could go into. That could be a whole different podcast. But um, anyway, I switched gears, and and since you know it was twenty four hours was the was the final goal, um, I started switching to to hours, and um, I got to a point where it's like, okay, well, I'm gonna my last three swims before the twenty four, I was gonna do two twelve hour swims. 114 and then I was going to jump from 14 to do 24 a couple weeks later and then we'd be done. And the 24 wow. was going to be on the anniversary of Dale's crash. Wow. And so Jason what I decided to do was because the 212 hours and the 14 were big deals themselves in terms of where I was in my training for this and you know let's face it 12 hour swim nonstop is 12 hours of swimming nonstop. Right. I, I felt like those could go into the, you know, I could memorialize the other three gentlemen 
that perished in this mishap um, with those. And so the first swim that I did for 12 hours went to the most junior guy. He got the first one. That was Drew Knight. And uh, the entire Coast Guard unit was there. We had, you know, some, some local news showed up for it. And, nice. and so the first one went to him. The second 12-hour swim went to Thomas Cameron, the, the junior pilot. Then the 14-hour went to our fa- fellow rescue swimmer, Fernando George. So I, I did the 14-hour swim in his name. And then when it got to the 24, the, the, the main event, I had switched over to this 50-meter 50 50-meter 50 pool um, and in downtown Charleston. And the city of Charleston completely rallied around me with this. All the news was there. Um, wow. Coast Guard headquarters came down for it. Air Station Savannah, the Citadel, Charleston Fire Department, Police Department showed up. It was a big deal here in our community. Um, of course, Teresa uh, and their two small children came from Mobile to see the swim and be a, be a part of the event. And um, at 2.28 on February 27th, I uh, got in the pool after uh, an opening ceremony, got in the pool and uh, pushed off and didn't stop for 24 hours. Uh, and at the end of that, I had uh, logged, I believe, 781 laps, Jeez, which oh, man. I believe equated to about 28 miles. Wow. Um, and so at the finish, uh, you know, a- a- after completion, um, I, I look back on the event and I thought, how do you feel about the crash? How do you feel about, you know, the loss of Dale? And, and, and what I came to was that I had accomplished what I, what I needed to, which was to work through my own grieving process in a way that was constructive, that would help me to honor him, honor his family honor the other gentlemen and their families who were lost in this devastating crash um, and move on with my life. And that's what I did. Um, that's what I did. And, and, and the last thing I'll say, and uh, it's a little bit of a plug, but there's a, there's a nonprofit called Operation 300 that was put together by a fallen SEAL Team 6 member. His name was Aaron Vaughn. And Operation 300 is for children who are left behind when their parents are killed in, you know, line of duty related things like this. And Aaron was a SEAL Team 6 guy that died in a mission called Extortion 17. And um, the money that I raised, which I I believe was uh, thousands of dollars, the generosity of everybody that was following this um, nice. that money went to operation 300 so in part this was a ironically you know watching david goggins retired navy seal this was a sort of a navy seal coast guard swimmer joint thing because operation 300 is who received the money for it he was a seal team six guy i originally got this plug from david goggins you know, it sort of tied us together. I just found that to be really, really cool. Um, 
And at one point, the commandant for the Citadel Corps of Cadets, who is a retired Navy captain, also a SEAL, got in the pool with me and swam for about three hours side by side. Oh, that is awesome. I didn't so know it was, that. It was, yeah, it was just, a, it just the whole thing was incredible, man. And, and uh, Oh, man, that's killer. Good for him. <laughs> Dude, I mean, yeah. I, I, I can't give you enough credit. Shannon, at 24 hours in the pool, I, I, I go two hours and I'm like, yeah, I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> 24 hours. <laughs> it man. was, it was a nightmare. I mean, to be honest, it was a nightmare. It was very, very monotonous. Uh, it was torture. It was, uh, it was torture to, to go back and forth and stare at those pool tiles for that long. I had uh, John Williams. Uh, yeah. Coast Guard swimmer uh, yep. drove in from Elizabeth City and sat poolside through the darkest hours with me. It was very emotional. It was it was torture. My my body was broken, um, and I just swam most. Of, I'd say probably ninety five percent of my swim was was crawl American crawl stroke. Yeah, and I would try to switch to side stroke to give my shoulders a little bit of a break. Um, but most of it was just head down, grinding away at it and, uh, having John there, um, you know, and having the people that really were most important in my life there with me, um, throughout that entire event is really what helped me to get to the end of it. Dude, that is incredible. Incredible. Shannon, you are one heck of a guy. There's no doubt about it. That, it's awesome. Uh, you know, you, we've been on here for, for a little while now. Um, I'm, I'll ask one more question and then I, I'm happy to, uh, to call this good. But, you know, with everybody that's coming up, whether it's rescue swimmer, whether it's going officer, whether it's finding that thing that you want to overcome. And I know that's a very broad uh, question, but if there's a piece of advice that you could pass on from everything you've learned in your career, career, what would that be? Well, um, you know, we're here for a finite number of days. We're not here forever. And for me personally, and doing all of the self-reflection that I've done over the years, the one thing I don't want to have happen to me when I'm in my final moments here is I don't want to look back and say, I wish I had done this yeah. or if only I had done that differently. I want to personally for me, I want to live my life in a way that says, Hey man, I left it all out on the field. Nice. And, uh, that's proven quite beneficial. I'm almost 50 years old now and I'm, I'm holding up pretty well and I'm able to still kind of do the things that I enjoy doing and, uh, and, and I enjoy life. And so if there's an inkling in you to go and get something done, uh, go and get it done and don't let anything stop you from getting it done. Um, yeah, that's, whatever that thing is, you know, that's, that's really how I choose to live my life. And, um, I want to pack as much into this life as I possibly can because you don't get any do-overs. Nope. You just don't. 
So <laughs> it's a one shot, you know, and you know, funny enough, Jason, every time I was sitting in the doorway of that aircraft, I always thought to myself for a second, and you know how lucky you feel, right? When you're sitting there in the door and you're like, you're the guy. Yeah. You know, this is your case <laughs> right now. You're here. You're it's here. And now it's like that Van, Van Halen song right now. And you know, that's every moment I had to, to sit in the doorway. I always took a moment, no matter what it was to say, appreciate where you are right now, because one day this is going to stop. And you know, that's it, man. Just appreciate where you're at. And if you're not where you're at, where you want to be, do everything you can to get there. That is some great advice. And just so you know, I know we can't see each other right now, but I am smiling ear to ear because I believe that. I am so thankful as well for everything that I've been given. Uh, just, I, I thank God every day, every day. So, holy cow. Ladies and gentlemen, Shannon Scaff, rescue swimmer, number 437. Dude, I cannot thank you enough for coming on to the Real Rescue Podcast with me. It has been an appreciate it. honor to have you here. Thank you. So, um, on that, I'll let you get out of here, dude. Yeah, it's good to talk to you, Jason. And uh, good luck with this endeavor, man. I think it's it's really cool and it's, it's an honor to have someone – still interested in, you know, the things that we've done. It's, I can't wait to hear the other stories from the other guys. And it's always, it's always good to reconnect with the brotherhood, man. No doubt. No doubt. Well, I'll keep you on the list for sure. I'll be, I'll be messaging you again, messaging you again, for sure. (laughs) Sounds good, man. Look forward to it. Awesome. And then with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute and like my daughters like to tell me, like and subscribe. Oh yeah. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story that they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you as a guest. Or if you have any questions about any of the rescues or anything else that we talk about here on this podcast, send me an email therealrescue at gmail.com that's t-h-e-r-e-a-l-r-e-s-q at gmail.com you can also check us out on our facebook and instagram page at the real rescue that's at t-h-e-r-e-a-l-r-e-s-q i also want to give a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today always remember that when that sar alarm goes off Those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard.